Hello, my name is Dr. Jim Doty, and I'm the host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast, where we explore the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. Hi, this is Dr. Jim Doty, host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast. My guest today is Tiffany Schlein, artist, activist, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, and national best-selling author, as well as founder of the Webby Awards. Tiffany's art spans theirs of sculpture, film, photography, and performance. Her themes frequently explore the intersection of feminism, philosophy, technology, neuroscience, and nature. Our conversation today will be quite broad. We'll discuss compassion, self-compassion, human connection, the power of manifestation, and the need sometimes for a break from social media. We'll also discuss her new film, which debuts in March of this year, called The Adolescent Brain. I hope you enjoy our discussion today. Thank you for listening. Tiffany, it's so great to see you. It's uh, It's been so long since our last interaction, what, a week ago or so? But that, it had been a long time since I had seen you, and I was so happy. I was like, when are our worlds going to cross again? Actually, I'm surprised it has taken uh, uh, actually uh, so long. It just took a pandemic to just yeah, stir uh, things up. Yeah, exactly. Stir <laughs> things up a little bit. Actually, I had to leave the... Uh, I know. Um, yeah, so uh, for our listeners, Tiffany and I were at a, uh, a retreat. And uh, unfortunately, uh, after the first day, I was ill with the flu and had to leave. So we're reconnecting again. But uh, thank you so much for being with me. You know, I, I'll do an introduction, or I should say, I've done an introduction, which will be added on later, But uh, uh, so we don't have to go through all of that. But I would like to say that, um, number one, you're one of my favorite people. Number two, mm. you're extraordinarily accomplished in so many domains, and it's humbling to be with you. Uh, so what I want to talk about maybe is what excites you at this moment, I do know that you have a film coming out with Goldie Hawn on the adolescent brain, and maybe you could start with that or whatever you want to start with. Yeah, well, first, it's so great to be here with you. I love your work, and I was thinking fondly when um, the UCSF, I think it was like the Neuroscience Center, connected neuroscientists and artists, and, and I did an art project that was using some of your amazing work. So. It's really fun. First of all, we need to do another project. I completely agree. And I want to bring out that project was called The Brain Portrait, which we should put somewhere in the world again. Um, but I am working on three things right now that I'm very excited about. Well, I'm worried about many things in the world. I'm trying to channel everything into my work. Um, so the three things are first, um, I am directing and co-writing a film on the teen brain. And Goldie Hawn is executive producing um, with Mind Up, which is an organization that she has for young people and, and now moving into teens. And really, I'm trying to distill. Um, there's a wonderful researcher, Ellen Galinsky. Do you know her? No, I don't. Oh, she's terrific. She has a new book coming out this spring called The Breakthrough Years. And it's she interviewed 45 of the top neuroscientists on adolescent medicine. And I am going into her book and distilling some of the top ideas there and going outside of the book and just some of um, my favorite thinkers on the subject. 
and I'm trying to crystallize it into like a 10 minute film that teens <laughs> will watch and the adults that love them will watch too. I'm like basically how to both thrive, how to navigate the world, what are like ways to regulate and, and really teach them about the brain because we've never known as much as we know right now about the brain, which is always exciting. Um, but I think about when I was a teen, which is just, it is just, it's an awkward period in human development because so much change is happening and you're kind of in between these two worlds of being a child and an adult, although sometimes you look like an adult, even though you still aren't developed that way yet. And if I had known when I was a teen kind of struggling through it, that why I was doing certain things or it was totally normal what I was feeling or or reframing it really that instead of it being, you know, that I was a super learner and emotionally brilliant and learning to be brave and all these positive psychology frameworks to this period, which a lot of these researchers and scientists use, I think it would have just made it easier. I mean, I just find whenever I'm in a situation that's challenging and I learn why it's happening, that it, when it'll be over, what I can do to mitigate it, and that I'm not alone. And I think those are really powerful ideas. So we're using, like in my filmmaking style, a lot of animations and a lot of metaphors to get to these bigger, bigger ideas. Um, so that's that's the film, and it comes out in March 2024. Uh, do you want me to tell you the other two things, or <laughs> I don't know if you want to? Let say me ask anything. you some questions about yeah. that, but then we'll, yeah. we'll get to the other two things at some okay. point because I could see our time will pass extraordinarily fast. Yeah. And uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the film, I think uh, you made a couple excellent points, which is one, uh, reframing. And uh, it's interesting and unfortunate that, you know, this has not really been out there in the sense readily available for teens or for them to understand it. That's and whether right. you're a teen or frankly an adult, this idea of reframing or, or changing your perception I think is very, very important. I think the other thing that is hard, especially with hormonal changes and things like that, emotion regulation. And uh, uh, so I think that's another one where, and there is available now different uh, programs to teach individuals that in fact, they have the ability to uh, regulate their emotional state. They just have to gain some self-awareness or insight. And again, uh, to emphasize whether you're a child or, or an adult, adult oh, I mean, uh, these I'm are, so, are yeah. important things. I'm <laughs> so glad you brought that up because it's really, I mean, at, at my point in life, like I have figured out the things I need to do to self-regulate. And when I'm upset, what are the things that calm me? And, um, and I think as a teen, really thinking about all and investigating and trying and experimenting with all the different things that you can do, whether it's learning how to breathe correctly, whether it's talking to a friend, you know, writing, is it painting, is it playing music, what it, what's at your disposal to regulate yourself? And I think the more you understand the science around that, I mean, even breathing, which I, I'm working on this animation about it, I really realized I've been breathing wrong. And I think it was only after talking to several different scientists on the subject, but really, um, again, understanding the science exactly helps you really structure your body correctly to breathe in a way that really calms you and, and turns your prefrontal cortex back on when your amygdala is taken over. So I think all these things, like the more, you, and some of it, you just need to understand how it works a little better. And maybe that's through a simple animation and taking the science and really understanding 
if I feel this way, I can do this and it will make me get back to a calmer state and help me be able to like, you know, be in the world in a better way. Cause you know, life is messy and we have so many emotions throughout the day, even us. I mean, but they feel them so much bigger than we do. No, no, I think that's a good point. I, I think, um, in addition to emotion regulation, I think it's also helpful for people to understand the way in which uh, emotions can hold us hostage. And what I mean by that is that all of us have challenging experiences. Uh, And again, on some level, we're talking about uh, mostly adolescence, but this is true of each and every one of us, is that uh, uh, we don't appreciate that when we have an experience, an experience has no valence. It's either, it's neither good nor it's bad. It's an experience. The challenge is the emotion that we tag that experience with. And then as a result of that, we become a hostage to that emotion related to the memory. And what I mean by that is let's say you get in a fight with somebody who maybe has done something negative towards you. Then you have this all this uh, animosity, and sometimes it can be fear associated with that. So every time you think of that person, that emotional state comes up. And the challenge with emotional states is they're associated with physiologic changes. And so I think that making individuals understand that the embedding of these emotions with memories uh, actually can be uh, very, very negative. Uh, And the other aspect that goes with that is actually, and I think this is hard for adolescents, is understanding uh, self-agency. Yes. I love the way you think. Yeah, we we need to have a separate call. I would love to show you a couple of the metaphors that I'm using, that we're creating. Because I, you know, I think agency, and that is a period when, when you're a teen, you're slowly getting more control. I mean, ultimately, if you do a good job as a parent... You're like, you need to know how to do all of this without me, right? That's the ultimate thing you're teaching your child or your teen. And feeling a sense of agency over your life. And then when you do have these big emotions, which happen all throughout your life. Oh, sure. What are healthy strategies to calm yourself? Because there's certainly a plethora of unhealthy um, ways to regulate that, whether it's, you know, I, I, I'm, fr- I'm familiar with them from my own childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Cause you know, I, I think that one of the biggest challenges, I mean, I've been a teen, I've had a teen, I have another teen right now. And for me, it's like how to frame it in a way that they will understand it and it'll speak to them without feeling didactic because I think their whole life they're having, um, you know, adults kind of telling them why to do things and they haven't had enough experiences yet to understand, oh yeah, that does make sense. I love that Mark Twain quote. What is it? Um, oh, what is it? I was in something about like, I was in, my father didn't know anything. And by the time I was 20, I was amazing how much he had learned. <laughs> I know I'm getting <laughs> right. that quote wrong, but it's yeah, no, about- I, 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 I know it's, <laughs> it goes along the lines of, you know, when I was a teen, I knew everything. I'm right. an adult and I know nothing. Exactly. Right. And, and- <laughs> Yeah, I think it might be one of my most challenging, but I love a juicy challenge like this. You know, I love taking neuroscience and making it accessible. And my father was a surgeon who um, both wrote about the brain and operated on the brain. Um, And 
he, when I was young, would use metaphors to teach it to me. And I am really carrying that on. And my mom's a psychologist and, you know, learning how you're going to have so many emotions and how to navigate them. It's, it's the great challenge of being human, of the human condition is messy. You're always a work in progress on some level. And here's some tools to navigate it all. And that, that's really the goal of it. You know, I, that brings up two things uh, in my mind. One is uh, this idea of wabi-sabi, which I'm sure you're probably yes. familiar with, yes. this idea of our incompleteness, imperfection, and what's mm -hmm. the third one? In, in, uh, imperfection, incomplete. There's a third one, which I can't recall. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the point is that uh, unfortunately, so many people strive for perfection and I think, unfortunately, oftentimes parents uh, create this narrative where they it's hard for them to accept their child as they are mm -hmm. versus how they want them to be. Mm -hmm. And then they pound them with this narrative of how they should be, where then that creates a driver that's not always healthy mm -hmm. to perform for their parents versus uh understanding that uh, what's important is that they um, be themselves. But in our modern society, with the Western capitalist narrative of success, which is wealth, position, power, uh, people get distracted. And oftentimes parents, in part, are responsible for that. So then they have a child who goes out and does all the things they're quote-unquote supposed to do, and then at the end of the day, they're unhappy. Yeah. What are your, I, I would actually love your thoughts on, we are going to have something on compassion. Um, and how, in the most, how, how would you describe to a teen why it's important to develop that, that muscle? Well, if you don't, you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, <laughs> that's, the, the, that's, the, that's pretty, that's good. That cuts to it. I, I, that's what I love. I love just trying to get to like, what is the heart of this idea? <laughs> well, and, but you know, this is this is uh, uh, frankly the challenge. Uh, you mentioned you have teens. I, I have three children, but uh, one just turned twenty and one's fourteen. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it's interesting because uh, in Silicon Valley, as you know, there's this push that children are expected to be, you know, at the top of their class. They are expected mm -hmm. to go to the good school, et cetera, et cetera. And I think uh, getting back to your initial question, uh, uh, my statement is be kind, do the best you can. And uh, I have no further demands. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, beating into somebody that you're, if you don't get straight A's, you're nothing, uh, only creates a situation of despair and oftentimes a feeling of hopelessness if you can't perform. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, uh, we've had multiple episodes of suicide from teens who, uh, you know, have felt this uh, pressure on them. Uh, I think the only thing that there should be pressure on is to uh, be nice to people, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to understand that others are suffering, and that the issue isn't about being best for me. It's about taking the abilities you have and trying to reach your greatest potential, because when you're able to do that, 
one, it makes you feel good. Two, it, it makes you realize that if you're smart and you work hard, you have choices. And I think that one of the sad parts, although I think it's been fixed now, is this idea that every child is a winner, you know, where you, you run a race and everybody gets an award, and that's not life. And what it has done for a lot of children, it's actually created a sense of entitlement that they don't really have to work hard, but they're still a winner. And that's not how society works. I mean, unfortunately, the nature of the world is, no, we're not all winners. And uh, uh, if you want to achieve, you have to perform. And if you don't want to achieve, that's perfectly fine. But you also have to accept the consequences of that. I think I really like what you were saying. I mean, if you think about, you know, being kind and being compassionate and no, and be, being aware of others suffering is... Yeah, it's just, those are the things, no matter what, that you can do. And there's a lot of things that are out of your control. And I totally agree, like, trying your best. I mean, that's what we say, just do your best, because everyone's got a different set of superpowers and strengths and weaknesses. And But the being kind part and being thoughtful and being compassionate of others' suffering is, yeah, I mean, it's it's so important. And it's not, I mean... I do think there's more of a language of it taught in schools than certainly when I was in school. I mean, it feels like there's a whole new set of words and teachings and social emotional learnings that were not were not around when I was growing up. Um, that I'm happy are are being integrated. Even even you know teens having words for these emotions. Like I made this film a while ago called The Science of Character, where we really take like Marty Seligman and you know his ideas about character strengths, and even giving a word to things like curiosity, love of learning, social intelligence, humor. You know, giving words like everybody's made up of these twenty-four strengths, and people have different sets of which ones are stronger and weaker. But these are like giving words to things that are ineffable makes them where you feel like you could you understand them you have some agency you can work on them so i think a lot of this is giving um science metaphors to understand and giving kind of the messiness language to work with yeah and and you know i think having children understand the messiness of life hopefully helps them get over this um sense of being judged all the time in this paranoia or fear that mm -hmm. uh, if people find out who I really am, they're not going to like me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is this issue with, it's sort of an interesting paradox. You see this quote unquote group of influencers on, on the internet, whether yeah. it's Instagram or TikTok, who give a perception that their lives are perfect. Yeah. Yet, of course, I'm sure you've seen the behind the scenes photographs where they've been photoshopped or yeah. it's all a false narrative. And sometimes it gets back to this uh, issue of what is success. And I think that, so on the one hand, you know, the many of these influences, it's just fake. And they're trying to mm -hmm. live up to a standard that no one can live up to. Mm -hmm. And in fact, many of them are suffering. And that's why you unfortunately see a lot of mental health issues and suicides mm -hmm. among that subset. But then conversely, you have the people who are watching this stuff who buy into this yeah. and somehow believe this. And I think yeah. one of the most powerful tools you have is self-acceptance. And when you're no longer afraid of being who you are, actually people accept you much more than mm -hmm. if they think you're putting on, uh, putting on an act. Yeah. I think 
Uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up because of course, you know, even when I was a teen, I was comparing myself. I think that's human nature, especially at that age when you're trying to figure out who you are, you see someone being someone. I remember I used to try on all these different looks when I was a teen. I'm like, what feels right? And sorry, that's my, that would be my dog right behind me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she's all about kindness and compassion. I think, I think animals, I think that is the beautiful thing about relationships with animals is they're just such pure love and kindness. Um, anyways, but I was like, but what I was saying is the comparison is, is natural, but of course, social media has magnified it so much. And I think one of the big messages also we're going to get in the film is kind of question the algorithm, question what you see, why you're seeing it, question it. And that's critical thinking. And um, I think really kind of pushing back on everything being pushed on you, um, just like advertisers. And, you know, everybody, most people online have, they don't have your best interest in mind. They want to get you. <laughs> well, <laughs> and hopefully your parents do. <laughs> well, but that is but that is something, I think with advertising, people have got to learn that. But with social media, they're so surrounded by it. Question it. Why do you keep getting fed, fed that next video or is that really how her life is or his life? And, you know, I know we're all human. And, you know, I think that um, you never know what's going on in somebody else's life, even as perfect as it may seem. And I think really questioning those things is another idea that we're trying to get into the film. And, um, you know, question why you keep on wanting to eat that next snack that's so filled with salt and sugar and question. Why did you have to bring that up? I was just <laughs> eating that snack a second ago. Well, I, we're actually trying to approach like, you know, cause I think teens are a little sick of like hearing about screen time being bad. Cause some screen time is good. Some of them connect. I was watching a friend of mine telling me how her teen son, that is the way he connects with other teen boys. Um, and I, you know that I turn off screens one day a week right. and I have for almost 15 years. So that's like been my saving grace of really gaining perspective of the screen use, which I do think there are some wonderful parts about being online, even connecting to you and the internet and Wikipedia, blah, blah, blah. And then there's, of course, all these things we need to question and we need to have the courage to unplug and to step away from the internet and step away from all these forces trying to influence your minds so you can hear yourself think. And I'm, I'm just working on um, an essay of, you know, I think I'm near 15 or 14 years. I have to like count it out of doing tech shabbats. That's what I call them. And I ended up writing a book called 24 six about how profound it was for me and my family to turn off screens one day a week. But I think the biggest thing is I can hear myself think. And I think we're living in a world where it's totally natural. You wake up and the first thing you do is look at your phone and you're, you're just responding to texts and notifications and emails and, uh, and news headlines. And, and you're just in response and reaction. And there's so many forces trying to make you think something or react to something. And when I turn off my screens every week on Friday night, I feel this amazing sense of exhaling. And then usually Saturday morning, first of all, I have my best sleep of the week by far because my phone's not in my room. And, and then on Saturday morning, I journal for at least three hours before most people get up in my house. But it's really so I can hear myself think and all of my clearest ideas come out then, my most creative insights come out then. And really, I feel like I'm returning to myself and I am trying to unpack all the feelings and messiness and, and some really powerful insights that I think I can't hear during the week because it's so noisy in my head in response mode. So I think really, you know, 
communicating that while there are some beautiful aspects to the internet, there are some very scary dis- disinformation aspects. There are some very scary, you know, just as you were saying, this kind of sense that everyone else is living without emotional mess, which is not true. And, um, and just a lot of people trying to influence your thoughts. And as a teen, what I remember being a teen is I was like this, you know, trying to figure out who I am and have the space to figure out who I am. So I think really trying to frame it in a larger way of trying to understand who you are and what you think is really throughout your life so valuable. Well, this is the nature of being present, which is very, very mm-hmm. hard for people, especially uh, in the modern uh, world. And I think it's an incredible uh, idea. I, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my son, my younger son, well, both of them, I, I would like to believe are fairly thoughtful, but my youngest son, uh, you know, he'll play his games or be on the internet for a while. And then he'll say, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. Hmm. And then he goes off and does his homework or whatever it is. Hmm. And it's interesting because uh, he is able to self-regulate in that sense. And uh, uh, I have to say, he's actually probably better than I at that, actually. (laughs) Do you think that, I mean, that's so interesting because I mean, that, that is the point. It's like, you have to develop a muscle to understand when, you know, it feels good, feels good. Oh, okay, it stops feeling good. Get off of the device, you know? Yeah. And I even say that to myself, Tiffany, I literally say, Tiffany, put it away, put it in the other room when I'm trying to focus. And I, um, but it is about developing that muscle um, because you need to live life um, unmediated. And, you know, I'm trying to get to that idea a lot in the film of like experiences are what develop your prefrontal cortex and discernment and judgment and, critical thinking. So you need to have as many real life experiences as possible. And that's what develops it. And so it's a lot about, you know, trying out a lot of different things, putting yourself in a lot of situations so you can learn so that the next time you have that knowledge. So there's so many things that adults and parents can tell you that you're not going to really learn until you do it. And then you're going to go, okay, that makes sense now. Yes. No, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, what was I going? Oh, uh, do you know Dan Siegel? Oh yeah. In fact, I have a call with him tomorrow. I was he was oh, at the conference. I know. And, I saw him. And, yeah, I, yeah, I saw yeah. him. Yeah. He, uh, the reason I bring that up is actually he and I did a podcast a few weeks oh. ago, and you might well, like I it because to that. is it up already? Yeah. 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 And okay. uh, we talked about uh, many of these things, and we ended up on a very strange conversation about enneagrams. Have you? <laughs> oh wait. A minute. So what did you come to? <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, I there's little scientific evidence, but they're used by a fair number of people for, sort of for getting a perspective. But we talked about what our Enneagram scores are, and I can't remember what they are. But it was funny because uh, mine was one where uh, he asked a question, and it was based on uh, how, if you have this Enneagram, how would you react? And And it was like walking into a party. And I said something like, well, you know, I would walk in and introduce myself to different people and just have conversations. He said, well, see, I'm the opposite. I would go into a corner and then look for different ways to escape if I had to. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny that you say that after just being with the conference from, with him, I I wouldn't have, it's so, it's so interesting when people say like, I'm really an introvert and like, you wouldn't think that of them, but that's the way they identify. And they're really pushing themselves to be. Oh yeah. An extrovert in situations. Um, Yeah. That's interesting. Well, we've covered this topic. You we have two other film. ones. 
<laughs> well, and and actually, maybe offline, you and I can get together. To I would talk love about that. that if, I would uh, love that. So. I already, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then the other thing that kind of surprised me, not surprised me, is you know I grew up in Northern California, right near Muir Woods, and um, I would go there with my family all the time growing up, and it was like this cathedral of these oldest trees in the world, and it felt a very, very sacred place for my family to visit in this cathedral of redwood trees, some that were like over 1200 years old. And I was always in such awe of them. And then, you know, cut to, you know, lived all over the world and kind of came back to uh, Marin County as an adult with my husband and when we were starting a family and returned to these redwoods. And then during the pandemic, returned to them even more when that was like the only way you felt during those first couple months when you were like, is the world ending? And I would go into Mere Woods and just like feel that incredible wisdom of these trees. And I started making art, um, physical art. You know, I've always, I mean, always like, you know, mostly worked in film and in writing um, as a way to communicate. But um, early in my career, I worked in sculpture. But then again, I kind of found it again. And I started making these sculptures and I basically started thinking, you know, the entrance of Mere Woods, there's, or usually any national park, there's like a big tree ring slice that shows the history right. of world events through the tree ring. It's called dendrochronology, the science of tree ring dating. And I have always been so struck by that concept of telling time, like trees are these ancient timekeepers and how amazing, but always the facts on them left me so cold. Like they were like, Christopher Columbus discovered America or the Battle of Hastings. It was always this kind of very male patriarchal colonial states. The only, the only dates that usually spoke to me is like, this tree was born and this, you know, this tree was cut down or something like that. <laughs> anyway, so um, during the pandemic, I'm thinking, is the world ending? What have these trees have seen? Have these trees experienced another pandemic? Probably if they're 1200 years old. And then I thought, you know, I want to, I want to reimagine what's told on these tree ring timelines. And I want to create a feminist history tree ring. And it was literally one of the most satisfying things I've ever done especially having two daughters being a total feminist, making a lot of films about feminist history. And so I made, took a gigantic and you know, over five foot tree slice and learned how to work with trees and worked with pyrographers, which is like calligraphy, calligraphy with fire. I spent a year researching what would be distilled onto the text and I distilled it into 30 lines of text. And the piece is called a made up word I made up called dendrofeminology. And, um, it premiered, um, it debuted at, I did an art installation at the Ferry Building called Human Nature, where there was like 24 pieces of art, um, seven tree rings tackling different subjects. And then it was just on the National Mall, right in front of the Washington Monument this November, which was incredibly exciting. And it was like, oh yeah, felt like a big you know intervention there. And amongst all these monuments about male achievement. And um, anyway, so it was there. And it next, um, I have a solo exhibition in New York um, with the Nancy Hoffman Gallery in Chelsea this fall where the tree ring will be there and we'll probably do another, bring it out into the open, into the wild. And, um, and I'm really excited about working in tree rings and um, I'm doing uh, just as a way to think about, about anything really, just to think about time through the tree rings. I did another one that looks like the evolution of human perspective um, moments that humans were decentered, and I did it on a huge redwood. So I basically have a list for like so many ideas I want to explore. It's very exciting to me, and 
And then uh, my husband, who's a professor at UC Berkeley and also an artist, he and I are doing an exhibition together in LA in the fall that also will have a tree ring component and an AI component um, called Ancient Wisdom for a Future Ecology, Trees, Time, and Technology. And, you know, I guess I feel like this could be like this next chapter for me of, I feel like there's so much to explore um, with trees. And it's almost like I feel like I returned to my roots. <laughs> I didn't mean to use that metaphor, but I really feel like I just returned to myself. Like I was surrounded by these incredible beings my whole growing up. And now I'm, oh my God, this is almost like the Mark Twain quote. Like there was all this wisdom right around me, but I didn't really understand it until I was an adult returning to it. And I feel like looking through the world through tree ring timelines is like infinitely fascinating to me. And I actually have a couple about the brain. I, I did one, you know, every slice of a tree looks so different. I mean, oh yeah, it's amazing. They're like, and you don't really like, and I usually hang them on the wall of the gallery. So it's like a slice, but it looks like a sculpture hung on the wall. And they all just, those, so the feminist history tree ring is a Diodore cedar and it's this gorgeous. You can really see the lines well. And then a redwood is kind of rich and yummy, kind of like red, orange color. But an olive tree in a slice actually looks like a brain slice. And I've spent my career making a lot of art about neuroscience and brains. And this slice looked both like a slice of a brain that you would see in a lab and also like a flower. And so wow. I... Um, called this particular piece Flowers and Humans. And there was a chapter in, in one of my father's books that got edited out, but um, after he passed away, and I understood why it was edited out, but oh, I love this chapter so much. I thought someday I'm going to turn it into a piece of art. And his general idea was that humans and flowers have co-evolved. That basically is, there's so many different theories on why is the human brain bigger than every any other species? And there's lots of different ideas around it. And my father's idea was because of flowers, that early homo sapiens would be drawn to the beauty of a flower, the beauty and the smell, and then go to the flower. And sure enough, behind the flower, there was a yummy orange or piece of fruit. And then they'd eat the fruit and then their brain would be flooded with like ascorbic acid and glucose and you had enough energy from the sugar to have these bigger thoughts. And I just thought that was about the coolest idea I had ever heard. I also love flowers and this thought that we bring flowers to every important event in our lives and to woo someone, to mark someone's life or their death. And we have this co-evolution relationship with flowers. And so I took this slice of olive tree that looks both like a brain and a flower and distilled that 50 page chapter from my father into about like three points on the tree ring. So um, as you can see, I am excited about taking this idea into so many different directions because there's so much, there's so much there. And um, I'm super excited. I'm just super excited about like having a new canvas and a new medium to think about things. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, in some ways you're exemplifying uh, sort of how um, creativity, how uh, curiosity, how awe can create a life and how powerful it is and how it, you know, can excite you every day yes. because uh, you've you oftentimes in sort of the nature of the messy world, you forget uh, uh, 
these things. You know, you were talking about uh, your experience in the forest. I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, Japanese uh, uh, idea for yeah. forest bathing, right? Yes. What is it? Uh, Actually, I did it at that retreat. Yoku. Yes, I yeah. wish you had been there. There was a wonderful forest bathing walking experience that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah, I was going to do a uh, sort of a gathering on uh, sort of uh, compassion, self-compassion and uh, uh, how it changes you. But alas, I wasn't there. Uh, but uh, OK, so we did two things. Now, what's uh, oh, wait, did we do wait, the wait, third wait, already? Wait, one oh, thing I have to say that I was very excited about when I did the. Um, well, I want to talk about self-compassion for a second, because. But wait, I want to talk about something else first is the forest bathing experience at the retreat where we desperately missed you being there. But I was um, walking through and there was a guide kind of walking us through and we were talking about how, and you know, I think about this a lot when I'm among the trees is, you know, they're taking the carbon dioxide and they're converting it into very clean, fresh oxygen. And as I was in this kind of cathedral of redwoods at this retreat, I was feeling the air was so fresh. The oxygen was so fresh. It was like the freshest oxygen. And I never had thought about it that way. I think better because this is the freshest oxygen you can get is amongst the trees who are making it for you. And what a beautiful symbiotic relationship. I mean, I wish we didn't make so much carbon dioxide, but we make it, the trees convert it, turn it into oxygen, and we get all this fresh oxygen for our brain. So that was one thought, but then self-compassion. So you know, I, I write, I do big, I'm a big journaler. My husband calls me an extreme journaler because I have, I do, I really um, use it as self-therapy and processing and really to hear myself think. But I, yeah. it's like my best appointments with myself are to journal and I could just write for hours, 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 hours. I mean, it never doesn't feel good. You know how your son was like, I need to go away now. Like I literally, unless I had other things to do, could just sit there. You, on you a have shop. to be pulled away from it. it. Kind uh, of. Um, well, do you remember Cheryl Teeks's ex-husband? His name was, what was his name? Was Beard, I think his name no, was. I don't know. He lived a lot in Africa huh. and he was an excessive journalist to say the least. Uh, so <laughs> You know, his whole day was journaling. Well, it's interesting. Was... It, it's not like I really only do that on my tech-free days of Shabbat, like where I really go deep. Like, but throughout each day, I do a practice to start the day and end the day. And it was really me trying to integrate the feeling I felt on Shabbat throughout the week. And I use a five-minute journal, which is this great journal you can get. And I, I give it out as gifts all the time because it's such a simple... And I don't really need prompts, but I really like a good prompt. And this just has three lines on it. And in the morning, it says, you know, what are three things you're grateful for? And of course, all the research shows, don't, don't be general, be specific. And then you'll start looking for those moments. So I just write those three things. And then it has a line that says daily affirmation. Now, that always has struck me as a little woo-woo. I'm being perfectly honest. I normally didn't fill it out. I just don't, that doesn't. <laughs> that prompt doesn't work for me until I um, I was reading about Shauna Shapiro. I think that is her name that she wrote a book. Oh, yeah. Called, she's a uh, good morning. I love, I love you. Good morning. Yes, I love yeah. you. And she was going through a really hard time. And uh, a teacher of hers just say, put your hand on your heart and just say, I love you. So for since I read that, I have been doing that for the last six months as my under that line. This is I said, good morning. Good morning, Tiffany. I love you. I'm telling you, it's such a simple thing to do, but it's such self-compassion. And it's like, I'm going to start the day by knowing you're messy 
You have all these feelings you wish you didn't have, whatever it is, but I love you. I love you. And it's like, it, starting with yourself. And then of course you're loving all the members and animals in your family and people and having compassion, but starting with yourself is so powerful. And that's a new thing I've been doing. So I recommend it to any listener. You can just even do it on a piece of paper. Don't look at your phone. Oh, I never look. So all of those things happen without me looking at my phone in the morning. So I use it for my alarm clock, like at most humans on this planet today, but I have it on airplane mode and I have my coffee and I do my five minute journal. And it takes me just about, I don't know, five minutes. It's, it's like it says. And then I return to that same book at night. And it says, what are three great things that happened today? And they're, they're beautiful. You know, they're, they're things, even the worst day, you can find the beauty. And then like, what's one thing you learned? Which to me, I always interpret as like, what's one thing I wish I did differently? So a little learning from the day. And th those two bookends to my day, and I have so many of these used books that I save because I like to flip through them sometimes. Um, that's my little self-compassion new exercise I've been doing. Well, actually, uh, Shada Shapiro and I are good friends. Oh, it, what a well, shock. You know, she and I have been, she lives in Mill Valley too, and we have wanted to connect. And now having this conversation, like I need to reach out to her and let her know that I really appreciated that teaching. Yeah, I think uh, the last time, maybe wrong, but the last time her and I were together, we both did a thing for uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's group, Goop Health, <laughs> which That's I can fun. assure you, I took a lot of flack uh, for sure. doing that. Sure. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, I talk science, yeah. but I had all these people send me notes. How could you do that? She is promoting quackery. And I said, look, mm -hmm. I did something based on science that I felt could help people. Mm -hmm. Whatever they do outside of that, yes, uh, I, I may agree with you or not, but my space was to offer something to people that would benefit them. And whether it's there or, you know, in some other venue, you know, I'm yeah. doing my thing. Uh, yeah. So, but, uh, uh, but yeah, she's uh, actually a special person. In fact, uh, we were, we spent some time together with, uh, uh, she recently got married again. I don't know if you know that. And, uh, uh, I don't but, know her that uh, well, but I, yeah, before she got married, uh, we ended up spending time together with her and her fiance and uh, actually it was quite nice. And uh, so, yeah, nice. so she's a uh, very sweet. And, well, maybe, uh, and that I book mean, we is have very a, helpful. Yeah. We, we have, um, we have, and now I'm really feeling like I need to meet her for a cup of coffee in Mo Valley. Um, but you know, sometimes, <laughs> it's just, sometimes there's just certain stages in your life where you're like, you, I mean, I just kind of love like, you know, I, I just, I, I love that about getting older actually is that, um, even that gathering, um, which we can say was gathered by Krista Tippett, who's an amazing, um, human. And I was really appreciating, you know, I was on her show years ago and then was on during the pandemic, really talking about what we talked about with like, um, my day without screens and how that was like a, just a lifesaver during the pandemic. But I just was loving how, long I've known people and then running into you and just the layers. I just love that about getting older. And some people you've heard about their ideas you haven't met, then you meet them. And you're like, oh, finally, finally we're meeting. But I've already been meeting your ideas for a while. And now we're yes, going to meet yes. in the three-dimensional human form. But I just, I love <laughs> yeah. that about getting older. I just, uh, I went to a friend's 80th this last weekend and she just was filled with such joy. And she's in a wonderful marriage and has been for 
since she was in her 20s. And I said to her, I'm like, so what you live such a good life, you know, what is it? And she goes, just don't sweat the small stuff and appreciate every day. And her and her husband were like, before we go to sleep every night, we say we're so lucky. They say that every night before they sleep. And I was like, that's the secret. Be grateful. No, it is. Don't sweat uh, the no, small I, stuff. <laughs> I, I think you're exactly right. You know, it's funny, though, how it, it takes so long to figure not that to out. sweat the small stuff. Yeah, no, because, yeah. you know, some event will happen in the day and you go, fuck, you know, I'm really pissed. And, yeah. and, you know, and it gets back to putting things in your memory. And then you reflect back on it and go, why was that a big deal to me? Yeah. You know, why did I react that way? And, you know, there's a quote that I said. Uh, uh, because <laughs> you can what, quote yourself. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to quote myself. But, uh, <laughs> and then I'll uh, quote you somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically the quote was as follows. Oftentimes uh, when I am critical of someone, mm-hmm. it's actually a reflection of my own insecurity. Mm. That is so true. And, uh, yeah. and so, you know, oftentimes when you get pissed off at somebody, you know, it, it relates to your own insecurity. As an example, I, you know, uh, as you were saying, we're, we all sort of um, live in our world and try and do our thing and promote ourselves. And, you know, the reality is there's always somebody who's going to be more prominent in whatever domain that is. And sometimes you'll look at them and go, fuck, why did that happen to me? And uh, and then you sit there and you just have to let it go. And uh, this is actually uh, the nature of what causes suffering, right? It's craving and attachment. Mm. And uh, I think uh, uh, that's something, you know, that's uh, a challenge. And it's something that, you know, we have to approach with this concept of equanimity, uh, this mm-hmm. evenness of temperament, uh, uh, where we don't get lost on the extremes. It's just like, I'm sure, you know, the accolades you've gotten for many of the works you've, you've done, you know, you always want to sit there and hold that feeling and go, God, it feels so great. People are looking at me and they think I'm a great person, but you know, unfortunately it's transitory mm-hmm. and, and wanting that or craving that all the time, you know, uh, just, uh, one, well, it pulls you away from being present and mm-hmm. two, uh, it makes you suffer. Yeah, I'm so. I want to hold on that for a second because I think one thing I've really realized about um, turning off my screens, like a feeling shift that happens every week, and it's so, it's so specific that I feel like when I'm online and the way the world's designed online, it just makes you want more. Like you're so hungry. You want the next email. You want the next stressful headline. You want the next notification. You even want to see the next thing of someone doing something you wish you were doing. You want, you want, you want. You're like this hungry beast online because it is created that way. Like the Pavlovian, you're sure. just wanting, wanting, wanting. And then- Well, uh, well that- Well, I was going well, to- Go oh. ahead, say, say what you're going to say. No, I was going to say, well, that's why Facebook and all these companies employ all these psychologists right. and neuroscientists. That yeah, I, I, it's like though. media. Yeah, yeah, but it's designed to make you want something you can't have. and Or you'll never, or you're stressed, but maybe there's something even more stressful coming. It's just designed that way. So then on Friday, when I turn off my screen each week, first of all, I can't wait for it to come. I'm always so, I'm like, oh, it's Friday. Okay, I get this relief. And I turn it off. We usually always have people over for Shabbat. And it's like, I feel my central nervous system kind of coming back. I'm regulating. And, I'm, and, then, and then this miraculous thing happens, this shift, 
where I switch from wanting things I don't have to being completely happy with what I have right in front of me because my eyes are up from the screen. I'm like, look at these people around my table, the garden, the animal, the, you know, the, the flowers, the, I'm so present again, being present for what's right in front of me. And I feel this sense of deep gratitude and presence. And I don't want to be anywhere except where I am because I'm not being like shoved all these images or things at my face. And I'm just like, switch into this moment and the state of presence and gratitude that is amazing and then it doesn't end because by saturday afternoon saturday early evening i'm just about to turn my screens back on i'm like what happened in the world i'm so curious i had that thought and i can tell my friend i had that thought or i can look up the definition of that word that i couldn't look up because i'm offline so it has this kind of rhythm each week because i'm not saying you should live your whole life offline but I notice I, I remind myself the value of presence, of gratitude, of thinking, what am I thinking? And then I have a reappreciation for the value of connection on the internet <laughs> because there is value to it. I think it's just that the way we're living now, most people, they never get offline and they never get that relief or perspective that you need. Um, and so I think all of these things are be, are very much tied to um, like you said, all the neuroscientists and social scientists that are designing a system to keep you keep you hooked and wanting more. And you really have to have the courage to understand that maybe my own thinking is enough and maybe what's right in front of me is enough. And I want to be present and appreciate what what's what I have. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, unfortunately, uh, the nature of social media, and I think again, the nature of capitalist society is uh, there's never enough. And uh, and this is a very sad thing. I'm sure you know a lot of very accomplished, perhaps extraordinarily wealthy people, and they cannot stop, right? Uh, you know, it's funny. I was uh, on Necker Island a while ago with a bunch of extraordinarily wealthy people. I think the average net worth was about 250 million people. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it was an event for... Um, uh, uh, a private uh, family office management company brought these people together to have a unique experience. And I was speaking on uh, meditation. Uh, let's see, it was compassion, meditation, psychedelics, and beyond. Ooh, that sounds like a beautiful suite of ideas to explore. Yes, uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's interesting because I talked to some of these people and it's not, you know, just that subset of people, but you know, a guy's going, yeah, you know, I'm worth 250 million now. And he's probably in his mid to late thirties. And he goes, you know, I'm shooting for a billion. I go, well, what are you going to do when you get that billion? He goes, well, then I'm going to go for 2 billion. I'm going, but what is the point of this? And, uh, uh, and you know, it's a competition they feel, but they never stop and think, you know, once I have that billion, I could have such an incredible impact in the world. And it doesn't seem uh, no. It feels a very yeah. It's I I have someone in my life that has said that to me recently, and I just it makes me sad. I mean, it's that Sisyphusian like you know, you know. I mean, I think I, I always in my work is driven by a deep sense of curiosity, but also a deep sense of wanting to kind of give back 
something to society in a way that will inspire, educate, illuminate something. If you looked at any of my projects, it's really that feeling of contributing to this larger whole. And the person in my life who's so focused on the money and I, I just, I, yeah, I feel sad. I mean, I really, that is a never ending. You'll never, you'll never be satiated. No, you'll no, never, never. be. Sa- I mean, it, the, the capitalistic model and the social media model, these are designed just, you'll never be satiated. And, and, you know, as much as I, I, I do strive, I'm always like taking on a big challenge. I love that feeling, but I also feel like when I've completed it or contributed something, I feel like, Ooh, that feels, that feels good. Like it, in some ways you want to make the incentive, you want to, the incentives that are created by our society are so messed up and you have to kind of rewire and be intentional about what kind of incentives you're setting up for yourself for that dopamine because you can get dopamine from contributing and to society and you can also get it from From something yeah exactly or a self uh a self-serving serving yeah that's right yeah and it's like Uh, yeah, I mean, even we have this section of the film to talk about volunteering, why volunteering is so, is so good for you. It's so good for you because you're helping someone else and you're helping them feel better. And that conversely will make you feel better, but it doesn't start with you. It's putting the, the attention off of you onto the other. And um, yeah. Well, you, you know, it's funny you bring that up uh, because I, I think I may have mentioned this. You know, I have a new book coming out that's... Uh, no, you didn't. You, we only saw each other for a second oh. and then you left. Tell me about the new book. Oh, I, I guess now the podcast is about me. I, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, tell uh, me. Uh, the, uh, it's called uh, Mind Magic, the Neuroscience of Manifestation and How It Changes Everything. Wow, but, that's a great title. But ah. the point is, it gets back to what you just said, which is... You know, again, in, in our capitalist society, we have these uh, uh, narratives that don't help us. Mm-hmm. And uh, fundamentally, the um, people have a view of what they think they want. They don't understand what they need. Mm. And so they're, they're chasing mm. fame, fortune, uh, power, and they get lost in that. And versus, uh, and actually, this book is the antithesis of the secret. And I'm sure you're familiar with the oh, secret, yeah. Yeah, which is, I, yeah, 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 I want, I want, I want. And somehow all the I wants uh, make you happy. And this is the complete opposite, which is uh, the only way you can truly manifest in the most powerful way is not to be focused on self, but to look at the world through the lens of how can I be of service to others. And then I will get all that I want versus starting with I want X, Y, and Z, and you're mm. not thinking about the other whatsoever. Oh, I think uh, that shift. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the first sentence of the book, which is somewhat provocative, is uh, the universe doesn't give a fuck about you. So, <laughs> oh my, Okay, wait, when does the book come out? What's the <laughs> May, what? May May seventh. May seventh. I just saw, saw another friend has that pub date. That's amazing. Okay, wait. Can you send me um, a galley? Because I yeah yeah sure I'll, uh, I'll do it for you. And I, actually, I'd love your opinion. Uh, of course, uh, because I have to tell you, I do this gathering. I just had it at my house 
you know, I was named after the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. So that's the name right. of my newsletter for 25 years. And, and then last year, I finally decided to have a Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I invited my favorite women over. And I had, I handed out a sheet that was like, what do you want to make happen in the next year? And it had all these different categories of like everything from, you know, what were your happiest moments from the last year? And is there a theme in them? And how do you make more space for them? And like, who do you mentor? Who mentors you? How do you make more, more space for those? So like a huge range of questions on these two sheets of paper. And then last year, and then I, I mailed it back to them and I had another gathering. And this year when I did it just a couple of weeks ago, it was about 40 women. And I had them say out loud a couple of the things. And I, I, I do feel like manifesting is you know it, it's the prompts too I mean what you're kind of saying are the prompts are the framework and instead of being so self-focused if you go outward focused the the rest will come and exactly, exactly. I really um I really love that believe in that and I'm excited to read your book because you're right like the secret it was one of those things where it was such a phenomenon and it was so dismissed because it, people felt like it wasn't based on any science. So you're going to come in and give the hard science on the same ideas, which are, I believe, as a journaler, I, will, I, I write things into existence. I speak them into existence. I do all the time. I mean, um, uh, but, yes. but you're doing it through the lens of, I am doing this to help others. You're not doing yeah. it through the lens of, right. Tiffany wants this, so she'll be more famous. And I think that, that's the big difference uh, uh, for people. So yeah, uh, I go through the, uh, actually the neuroscience and the different brain networks. Uh, and then I also have a discussion about the reality that you have, uh, you know, a hundred million bits of information coming in through your sensory organs, which of course, the majority of which relate to keeping uh, homeostasis in your body. But on a conscious level, we have access to about 50 to a hundred bits of information. But the point is that there are techniques you can use to actually embed that uh, intention on a conscious level so that it actually, uh, if you will, has a high likelihood of uh, directing your subconscious in a way to help uh, it manifest. Although, of course, manifestation is uh, doesn't guarantee it will happen at all. But what I suggest is if you use these types of techniques, more likely than not will they manifest. Uh, and so I go through many examples and uh, also the neuroscience. And then uh, actually there's a six-week program in there to maximize your ability to manifest using sort of these uh, techniques. So oh, I'm so, I, I can't wait to read it. I mean, I think I think so many of these tools I've described to you that help me help me navigate the world, right? When I tell you that turning off screens one day a week for 15 years, like, or 14 years, <laughs> which one it is before I read that. One of the two. 14 or 15, but a long time. That helps me hear myself think. And then my daily practices of writing in this five-minute journal to start and end my day help me frame the day in a positive way because it's, it's it's human behavior to want to go to the negative. So I say, no, 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 even as my coffee settling, let's frame on the positive. And it just sets my day in a positive way. And I, my, my brain naturally would have gone to the negative like any human for survival strategies. 
And so really, as somebody that's 53 and lived this life and had all the things, you know, a lot of things happen, here are tools that I've learned to help me stay steady and focused on the right things, you know, as I'm moving throughout this very messy world with a lot of messy emotions. And so I really love what you're saying because it's, it's a lot of what we're talking about is framing the way we think about things and the way we go about living a meaningful and purposeful life, right? Um, I made this film called 30,000 Days. And in it, you know, that's the average life expectancy of any human. 82 years equals 30,000 days. And in the film, it's just another 10-minute film. My great creative challenge is how to take something very complicated and distill it into 10 minutes or less. And in that film, it was to distill all the, the ideas around living a life of meaning and purpose across cultures. And um, this idea of serving your community or the world um, living with compassion, um, gratitude, you know, all these things are in like every single culture that these are like, I mean, these are the ways to live a good life. And it's just, it's, it's interesting how that evolves once we have more science to back it up or how it evolves in a screen filled world that's doing everything to make you think of things that are off that track. So yeah. yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you look back a few hundred years when people lived in these small villages, they were born there, they died there. But the thing is, everyone knew them from the time they were a child. And sort of they grew up in the village with people caring for them and they mm -hmm. lived in these intergenerational families. Mm -hmm. There was no concern about being judged or being anxious. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you never had this fear. You were never good enough. Now, I'm making a gross generalization. But, you know, these are uh, the places that are talked about as uh, the blue zones, right? These places where people generally live to be 100. Oh, yeah, and they eat, and, they eat a certain yeah. way as well. I've well, but you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, there are 10 million Mediterranean diet cookbooks, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but the reality is if you look at the science, well, yes, eating a good diet is great. Uh, not smoking is great. Getting exercise is great, et cetera. Connection, it's human connection, connection yeah. and it's depth of relationships. And mm -hmm. those far, far uh, uh, outweigh all the other contributors. And so the question is, you know, how do you get back to that? And uh, uh, or at least understand the power of that in terms of shaping our lives. And, uh, and again, you talk about meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. It relates to uh, a being of service, whether it's locally, nationally, internationally, whatever it is, because number one, that gives you meaning and purpose, which affects your physiology. Number two, that outward connection with others uh, actually affects their physiology. So it's a, a very yeah, actually, you know thing. what? I'd love to ask you one thing because we we've talked a lot about regulation in the film, and we're also going to talk about co-regulation. Um, you know, because my producer has a um, an autistic son, and you know when he, that's a big conversation. How to co-regulation? Who should be around um, him? And I think I would love to hear your thoughts about co-regulation because we also. An idea we explored in one of my films I want to bring back to this one is like the five people you spend the most time with, you will become, choose wisely. And the yes. people you follow the most on social media, you will become, choose wisely. Like 
anyone you're spending a lot of time with is shaping your experience. So think about who do I want to have around me? And sometimes that's not a choice, but the people you decide to be friends with is a choice. You know, if you think about who do I have a choice with and who do I proactively bring into my life? But what are your thoughts about co-regulation? And like, I could talk to you forever. I have another call soon, but I want to hear this. <laughs> about it. Uh, uh, well, it's fact. Uh, as you know, I mean, if you get, and we're talking about feminism, and I'm not sure if this is directly related, but oh, you get a group of women together and yeah. at some point all their menstrual cycles regulate, right? Mm -hmm. Together. And, uh, and it's interesting if you look at the, if you want to call it bioenergetics, Obviously, our brains put out uh, oscillations and uh, brain waves, but, you know, our heart does too. And those uh, uh, waves extend five or six feet out beyond you. So, in mm, fact, that, that energy that you bring actually has an impact on other people. And this is why, and I'm sure you appreciate, there's some people who you see and you're joyful about seeing them because for whatever reason, they carry this energy and they brighten your day and you feel fantastic. And then as you, uh, as you also know, they're sort of the energy eaters <laughs> who, uh, you know, as soon as you get to them, you're like, oh, God, I'm exhausted. They're just taking so much away from me. And so mm -hmm. I, I think you're uh, absolutely correct. Uh, I should introduce you to, do you know Lisa Christine? No. Oh, you should check uh, her out. She's actually in Mill Valley and she's a good what? friend. Yes. Oh, uh, introduce uh, us. Uh, it's with a K, Lisa Christine. She's a, a humanitarian photographer hmm. and she's, I think, been to 160 some countries and her work is quite extraordinary. Her and I did a project together on uh, human sex trafficking and human slavery. Hmm. And in fact, we were at the uh, Vatican together about that. Uh, I'm not sure why I brought that up other than the fact that she's an interesting person who I think the two of you would connect uh, uh, very well. Uh, the other thing, actually, before we go, um, what would you think of you and I partnering to create a park in San Francisco based on compassion? I love it. I love Where, it. I, I, I mean, I absolutely love it because I, I, I can't tell the specifics yet, but I am working on an outdoor art installation that has to do with trees. and. I think a lot of what we're talking about could be really powerful within a yes. Yes. I'm saying yes. Let's. Okay. Let's get together. It. Let's set up that. another meeting. Actually, you know, uh, uh, years ago I was, I was convincing uh, the city of Palo Alto to do a park related to that. And they sort of initially agreed, but I couldn't raise the money to do that. But I think that would be uh, something that would have an impact and it would be something that would last a long time. Uh, but it has different, I don't know if they're stages or different exhibits within the entity where, that are interactive with people. And uh, uh, so I think that would be uh, really powerful. Maybe so let's that's do our that. next art project together. Yeah, that's what I'm and serious. Let's do We're it. We're like 10 years out. We have to do another collaboration. Exactly. Exactly. Oh but God. let's what plan on that. What a pleasure to talk to you. It was just so yes. wonderful. And I'm so well, excited thank you. for your new book. And, I will um, send you a proof of please. that and you can give me uh, your thoughts. So uh, always that. a pleasure. Yeah, so fun and, and intellectually stimulating. <laughs>
Again, thank you for being with us today. The Into the Magic Shop podcast can be found where you find your most popular podcasts, or you can find us at intothemagicshop.com. Thank you.